too fast you gotta make the shore leave last just kicking down and getting spores looking for fun and feeling groovy feeling groovy feeling groovy ba, 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 ba. star trek's groovy I'm amazing. So excited amazing. for this episode. I had the premise of it uh not not spoiled but like teased. Um mm. I believe it might have been Wiz from Wizard Live who asked if I had gotten to the um hippie uh Spock episode yet. Um, ah. Or if like X episode I was referencing was there that. There are like, oh, not two yet. hippie Spock episodes. Oh, so this might not even be the hippie Spock episode yes. that he's referencing. This is just a yes. hippie Spock episode. Okay, yes. cool. <laughs> I loved this episode. What a yes! weird, wild, fun, sort of of its time, but also somehow timeless episode. It's oh, yeah. just great. It's just great. Yes, this side of paradise, uh, our crew tunes in, drops out, and gives some spores. What for? Ha! Huh? In this lovesick LSD parable of an episode. Hell yes. Do you know what's funny? <laughs> I was watching this episode and I'm like, this seems like it could just be about someone's experience taking LSD yep. for the first time. Yeah. And just like those yeah. kind of revelations and things. And so it is very funny that I assume in our always, oh, always yeah, wonderful yeah, yeah, yeah. behind the scene journey we get on these episodes oh, yeah. that that's going to come up. Well, please give are, us the beginning deets. There is so much. There is so much. There are actually two behind the scenes elements that I want to get to. Okay. And we can do them before or after the episode. But to start off with Ooh, our first. Tease one and then do the other. Oh, okay. So let me tease the writer of this episode, Nathan Butler, which is, of course, the nom de plume for Jerry Soule, writer of the Corbomite Maneuver. Okay. Now, why would such a sir choose to take his name off of this episode? Credits with whom she he shares DC Fontana. Uh well, there's some drama, and it involves our favorite bad boy of science fiction, uh, Harlan Ellison. Okay. <laughs> I okay. have no mouth, but I must cuss some people out in a sci-fi bulletin, apparently. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I Oh, okay. We yeah. are, so we are going to get... 
bad beef between sci-fi writers. Yes. Wild shit. And literally all of it is just because Harlan Ellison is like off his fucking nut. But (laughs) this was, of course, uh, written by Jerry Soule originally and later rewritten by D.C. Fontana, our very favorite. Um, So this was originally written by Jerry Soule after being asked to write another episode by Ron Barry himself. Mm-hmm. He had, of course, you know, done a lot on Corbomite Maneuver. He really felt like he put a lot of the elements of Star Trek into it based on, like, how much he went into it with Justman and Roddenberry. Um, I would argue, and most people would argue, and Roddenberry would definitely argue, uh, that, like, no, he fucking didn't. Like, he wrote a really good episode, and it was the second episode of the season, and he was clearly brought on to help and like give his ideas and stuff. And he was paid for that. And like Roddenberry really appreciated him. Like he asked mm-hmm. him to write another episode for him. Um, and he will ask him to write another episode again later, which apparently didn't go well either. Oh, boy. But I don't know that story. Third um, times, uh, not a charm. So, yeah. So this story originated as an original story by jerry soul uh his big sci-fi contribution to this he's like spores mm. they're a spore and when you add water they become another thing what if drugs what if drugs what he's if he's literally like what, what if, if you... they took lsd what if all of the crew took lsd <laughs> and i'm gonna write my anti-drug message show? he he was like Oh, okay. I heard kids take mushrooms, and and spores are mushroom Straight things. Up. So what if what if mushrooms or plants just jizzed in your face and you became a hippie? Yeah, it's like it's like he should have been writing about shrooms, but he apparently wasn't a good enough hippie because this was supposed to be like an anti drug message. Like he he was not on board with like the hippie culture stuff. I don't think he was a conservative or anything, but like. Uh, which would mean something different then anyways but still like yeah it's, he just didn't know the difference between lsd and shrooms and he was like what if the whole crew dropped acid and like had like a like a 60s movement yeah it's it's sort of like a weird it's it's not necessarily a capitalist greed by dogma right. But it is very much like your production, like mm-hmm. your you need to you need to be producing for progress, production, advancement, yeah. resources. Like it was the fact that they had a colony and they were surviving just fine. Yeah. But because well, it, oh, would, you haven't. What yeah. have you contributed? What 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 is your contribution here? Like yeah. what have you done for everyone else? And it's like, well, we exactly. have peace and harmony and were, you know, able to continue uh, day-to-day existence and just live Whether and buy. Whether or not that's and love. what they wanted. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's something I noticed um, a whole bunch of. Whether or not that's what those people wanted in the beginning, like, based on the story, like, intra-story reasons is, like, whatever. Like, 
But outside of it, just being like, wow, these people are only supporting themselves. Well, and and the other thing, too, is that the implicit thing of, of the weirdness of this being, well, this is something that is clearly psychologically taking over people. Yes. And it's like on a day-to-day base it's it's not like oh this happened to them once and now they're mind slaves forever yeah. like oh you do you do acid once and you're just become, you become a goddamn goddamn hippie for the rest of your life kind of <laughs> uh, yeah it's wild so i wanted to ask you missy uh did the message work do you not want to do drugs now did the message work on you um should i ask that at the end but yeah. see, DC Fontana really changed it, I think. See, I think it's important for us to get on top of this now and just say that I I have experienced the <laughs> drugs that have been referenced and yes. I am not opposed to experiencing it again. And therefore, no, it did not yeah. work on me. This wasn't yeah. a huge, in- like, I didn't, literally didn't think it was an indictment of, of right? the <laughs> um, flower people movement. And I thought it was like an homage to it, but I didn't right? think it was like a, uh, a thesis takedown of why this is bullshit. I was just sort of like, no, okay. Like it just, turned them into a society of people who were pacifist and Luddites in the sense of they were mm-hmm. anti-technology because they were like anti-industrialist, which is a sort of like, okay, it's just like a vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are a lot of uh, like cultures that exist now in our contemporary times that do not benefit from most of the advanced technology that we have and would look backwards compared to how we're living, you know, in our society Mm -hmm. as is. But I don't think it's an, I don't like think their existence is an indictment of, of anything. That's what's just weird about this whole attitude. Yeah. It's absolutely weird. Um, But so that was sort of the original story. The original story was so different that in fact, the story by credit is shared with DC Fontana, who who changed it. Basically, the only thing that's left over from the original is spores. Spores. <laughs> spores. But there was a lot going on in that original script. And he had written, he wrote like three drafts of this thing, like three outline drafts, two script drafts, and a polish, which is a lot of writing for them to be like, this isn't fucking working. And I don't think it really was. Um, but DC Fontana had just at this point decided to make the leap from being a secretary to being a full-time writer. And she had told Gene Roddenberry that, like, I'm, I'm going to be a full-time writer. And he's like, hmm, that's so interesting that our story editor, Stephen Carabazzos, who never really liked sci-fi, is now leaving. Uh wow wouldn't it be wouldn't it be nice to have someone who keeps writing scripts that are super unproblematic and come in under budget uh and who knows the behind the scenes of the business and has a proven track record of doing so in my own fucking office for years it's Um, it's truly the right time right place (laughs) scenario where it's like like i've had these positions like in my life happen where you're just sort of like I might be interested in doing this. And then someone's like, I heard you're interested in doing this. We have an opening right now because someone left. Would you like to do it? It's like, 
uh, sure. <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. I'd better do it since I, I'll put my, uh, my, my movement where my mouth is since there's not money involved in what I do. Uh, but yeah, it's just very funny. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and so they're like, look, uh, rewrite this script. And if you do it good, which like, we are very sure you can, mm-hmm. we'll make you story editor. And a woman being the first off, there were very few women in that role, even as writers. But to be the uh, as DC Fontana said, this is quoting her to be the female story editor uh, for an action adventure series was unheard of. Yes, because women, women, it would be like, oh, maybe like a sitcom or a soap opera or something where it's like, oh, this is more woman-y. Like, this is where women can come, right, or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. women were having a hard time even breaking into fantasy and science fiction as a genre at that time because it just seemed like a boys thing to do. And and, and partly because the the stereotype was only boys are interested in this thing, you know, because men were only ones writing it. So the only ones Mm -hmm. that interested, so it's like a secular thing in there. Yeah. And... The many women who did had to do it under names like DC, Fontana, mm-hmm. instead of Dorothy. Um, so this is her, like, rewrite script. It is her first one before being story editor, basically as story editor, which is a role that she maintained up until the next generation when she chose to leave because Ron Barry was a wild racist by that point instead of just uh or well a wild many things at that point do likely to dementia uh, in addition to other things because at this point he was like excited to kind of spit in everyone's faces by having his female story editor who is literally so good that like she's undeniable you know um so not only is it all those things this is the first star trek episode i ever saw as a young person (gasps) Oh, we started my. watching it partway through the episode. It came on Sci-Fi Channel. My parents were flipping through the channels, and they had seen it as young people. And my dad knew things about it. Like yeah. he didn't say he was a Star Trek fan, but like he could like name things from the episodes and this and that. And I'm like, wow, there must have just not been that much TV on <laughs> three channels. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'll I'll say I'll know when. The TV turn on when I started watching Star Trek. I was hooked from this very first episode. This is wonderful. It's your little origin story. Yes. So, Jerry Soul, however, did not hear about this rewrite. Basically, until it was rewritten. And he had been kind of writing, like, he had been calling the studio, being like, so what's up with the Day of the Spores? Oh, what's been going on with that some, one someone was like i'm not gonna tell him you tell him no i don't want to tell him you tell him uh then like finally they like sent him the script and he was just sad about it uh and Aww. we'll hear about what a little bitch he was later. <laughs> <laughs> i like i like that oh he was sad about it being like, oh okay well there's a bitch about it well, a lot of bitches there was a lot of bitching going around uh yeah uh <laughs> so um we open on a very serious 
bridge because our crew is headed to Omicron SETI 3, a planet that they're expecting to find full of dead people. Just yep. a dead world because there is apparently a thing called Bertold Rays that are all over that planet. No one knew about them until recently, but they melt humans. They melt humans and animals, and no one can be there for very long. And it's been three years since these people have gotten there. So there's no people. If that, like, there's no goo. Like, mm-hmm. there will probably be, like, fucked up buildings, you know? Um, so they're on an unhappy mission to see what's left of the 150 men, women, and children that landed there. Apparently, they knew that there was a risk, but not necessarily what that risk was or how serious. Um, but they they head down... We get a landing party together of Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Sulu, and some other guys. One of them's DeSalle, who was in uh, Esquire of Gothos, which they didn't realize until they cast the same person. And then they were like, oh, let's just give him the same name as the one that (laughs) he had. (laughs) So they land on this idyllic 19th century like farm and Kirk Saul Morose. He's like, 150 men, women, and children dead. Their dreams deferred. Like, just being morose. And suddenly they hear from behind him, uh, oh, hi, we're alive, actually. Essentially. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like, hi, I'm Elias Sandoval. And we cut to the intro on, hi, I'm Elias Sandoval. Like that's the that's the sting and the music swells and the do do da 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 do. Um, pretty much. <laughs> so we uh, we have a mystery on our hands. All of these people should be dead, yes. um, and our landing crew uh, sort of quickly try and figure out what's going on. They should all be dead. Is it possible they're not? Asks Sulu. I think that is a brilliant question, and I'm sad that we didn't go that way. <laughs> well, and it's a good thing because so many times they've already they've already experienced like hallucinations yep. and androids yep. and so many other things where it's like no 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 check double check their pulse let's let's make sure here. Yeah. But of course, Doctor McCoy knows when a person is alive. Thankfully, we have the doctor here. He says, um. You shook hands with him, Jim. His flesh was warm. He's alive. I'm like, great. Future science. He's warm. He's alive. Yeah, the temperature, ergo, alive. Alive. <laughs> so Sandoval's like pretty excited. He's there with his guys. They're all in like army green jumpsuits. And they're just like, oh, like, we're so happy to see you. We haven't seen anyone else for like four years since we got here uh it's like i can't wait to show you around the place like oh my gosh look at we have buildings that are here and we have people you'll love both of those things so let's go take a look at that yeah let's look at those things he says our philosophy is a simple one that men should return to a less complicated life we have few mechanical things here no vehicles no weapons we live in harmony complete peace which is a great way to lampshade the fact that they were at Disney's Golden Oak Ranch. I was going to uh, say, what? 
fucking location did they film this at that was clearly just like like there's a moment later on when they're in a field that is just yeah. like a field oh, and you see the some field buildings is it's fake. it's a fake the field. field the field is fake the field was actually done days later in a quarry because Jill Ireland uh who plays Layla got sick over the weekend and they thought she had the measles so she couldn't go to set oh my god so they had to do those shots later in a quarry and the director was like can we like have grass maybe and the set department was like yeah dude like we will create an entire landscape for you and he was like oh my god um yeah they did a great job didn't they it looked yeah. like a fucking field yeah it genuinely did that's that's okay then but yeah, they were at Disney's uh, Golden Oak Ranch, and you'll notice, like, later on when they're inside the house, which is basically right now, they take them inside, and this house is beautiful, and it has, like, china on the wall, and, yeah. like, it's, like, decked out, uh, and that's probably because it's fucking Disney, because it's yeah. not like anyone else would think to make it look like that. Um and having just spent some time in a Disney hotel, uh, boy, they they have all sorts of random crap all over the fucking place. Oh, yes. God, I, I, I love, love getting the updates from people like who go to the parks and stuff. And mm -hmm. I'll just see like, oh, look, a new very inside niche reference to like, yeah. you know, oh, this this magazine that if you happen to subscribe going up, it's like, look, it's this character that was existed for like two weeks on page four. And you're like, oh, great. Good job, cool. one person who who remembered to put that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly. I'm surprised. I wonder if there are any hidden Mickeys. Uh, <laughs> Do you know? I was that. about to joke in this, being like, when you said like, you know, and if you'll notice the one scene, it's like, oh, is there a Mickey Mouse in the background? It's like, oh, <laughs> and, uh, he's like, oh, 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 shit! I walked under set. I'm trying to get backstage. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, everyone. Oh, Captain Kirk. Oh. I'm, you're a real good, Captain Kirk. Love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, they're inside. They're like, this is a perfect agricultural planet. Sandoval's like, meet our lead botanist, Layla Kalami. And I have wanted the name Layla since I was a child, and I did not put those two things together until rewatching this. You're like, this is where uh, it comes from. I'm like, oh, that's why I thought that was like the best name to have. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this was Jill Ireland, um, and she was nervous about the role because she had just seen What Little Girls Are Made Of with Sherry Jackson, who had like this uh she was she was the first person that nbc was on to make sure that there was no side boob oh they yes like, yeah her, oh, i was gonna say her titties. very like amazing outfits that mm -hmm. you know would look appropriate on drag race but in in star trek it's a little it's it's a little risque the only only, only the minorest risque yep they gotta make sure no titty no side titty uh yeah it was like this overalls thing with crossing overalls um so she was worried but she should not have been because she's also in a green jumpsuit with just like a little a little tank like t-shirt underneath oh yeah she uh, looks great later on she's yeah. in a pair of overalls green yeah. overalls which i'm just like oh i'm so jealous i mean i know yeah, i can right? get them that's they're not that rare you know but like i just have not sought out a pair of green overalls and i need that in my my uh wardrobe 
right? Um, no, they look fantastic. It's definitely like eco chic, like everyone's in the same jumpsuit. I don't know. It just all looks very nice on them, despite being very plain. Um, so they're like, yeah. Uh, hello, hello. Oh, you don't need to introduce me to Mr. Spock. I already know him. And we get this, like, we get the little uh, romance trill from Shore Leave, which they're going to reuse a million times. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the music in this episode was from Shore Leave. Um, it's Jared Fried's or Freed's score. Um, and it's the Ruth theme because Ruth was like the lady that Kirk was into in that episode. But now it's between Spock and Layla and she is giving him heavy eyes and he is making no face, but we see captain Kirk's eyes for just a moment. He notices that look. He can always tell when a woman is, is hot for somebody. Uh, oh yes. Yeah. And it's, it, it uh, I, mini squealed when I realized ooh, we're gonna get some Spock like love life drama like we don't dip into that that often but it's just so funny it was like oh they have a history and they're like yeah I bet they do yeah <laughs> um, this is one of the reasons that DC Fontana was considered like the mother of Spock uh, that Leonard Nimoy considered her that too we focus on Spock in a lot of her episodes because uh, she finds him really interesting because he fucking is. She is correct. Um, so everyone sort of splits up to do their own investigating because the people there are not being for- forthright. They're just like, so you're supposed to be dead, but you're definitely alive. And they're like, look at our beautiful home. So they're like, we're just going to spread out because they're like, yeah, like, check out whatever you want. And the facts are not facting at all. Uh, Sulu and his lieutenant buddy, uh, I think his name is Kowalski or something. Yeah. Uh, they realize there's no animals anywhere on the farm. In fact, Sulu's like, I wouldn't know if there was something wrong if it was two feet from me. And they're like, there's like an evil plant two feet away from him. <laughs> well, and also the funny thing is, is that previously him having been the botany expert. Oh, like, good point. Like, the fact that he's like, I wouldn't know a farm theme. Rather. I'm like, okay, Sulu, do you, so I guess it's, it, I I took it as, oh, I grew up in the city. I don't know anything about farm life. Mm-hmm. But he just said farms. And I'm like, I, I bet you do. I bet you have more than a base knowledge of how agricultural works if you're a botany expert. But okay, Sulu, go off, queen. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, And Kirk confirms later that there were animals brought there. That's like the weird part. Um, So clearly the animals are dead. McCoy has been examining people and they are all in Superman levels of health. Um, And later on when when Kirk gives him the like little red floppy disk of medical records, um, Mm -hmm. he finds that like previous ailments that these people have had are being healed down to regrowing an appendix yeah that was interesting organs that are gone like well bones is like well the record of appendix is gone but now it's back (laughs) much he's like it works on me like i it can tell that i broke ribs like that are now healed but like these bugs nothing 
Now, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler, but mm -hmm. they never really explain how that happens. It just is sort of like... Spores. You know, oh, well, how do we explain why they aren't being dead by the supposed, you know, ra ra it's not radiation, rays. but the ray exposure. Yeah. And they're just like, well, they just keep regenerating. Why? Mm -hmm. Plants. <laughs> Spores. <laughs> okay. Um, and then DeSalle, he's looking around. He's like, no, like, the, it's true. This is a perfect agricultural planet, but they have literally only settled the amount they need. They're subsistence farming for only themselves. Like, wow, that's such a big deal. How terrible for them to just be living a happy life taking care of themselves. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's funny to me because they're like, oh, this is bad. I'm like, but they've essentially recreated, like, what we have near our city, which is just, like, a living history farm exhibit. It's just, yeah. like, we have basic sustenance and maybe a gift shop. You know, it's just, like, yeah. I don't, I don't, what else do they need? Like, I guess... Well, I get, to be fair, if their expectation is, oh, you're a colony of 150, you know, oh, there should be 500 of you. But I guess I don't know how much they'd be fucking, but, you know, it's just sort of one of those things where, like, oh, you'd be branching off. You'd be exploring new areas. And it is sort of like, I mean, it has only been three years. What what yeah. do you expect them to do in three years with what exactly. they, I like, what were they given? What's the, what, I don't know the parameters, but like, what is the average mm -hmm. colony growth rate? Like, I don't, I don't really know. Like you thought they were dead and they have like at least substance farming. Like you should be a bit more grateful bitches that, that they're here. Yeah. You basically, uh, that this is where a little bit of assuming has to come in. Like you have to assume that they wanted to make a bigger colony or set up a bigger colony that could support like refugees or yeah. like, you know various federation style efforts um presumably but again we have to presume um mm -hmm. but the reason why they haven't like reached out is because they have a subspace radio that like no one knows how to work which is wild. Um, they're like, yeah, broke. We can't fix it. Um, and they're like, none of this is making sense. And he's like, Kirk's like, it's like a puzzle and all the pieces are the same color. Uh, there's no clue how to put them together. Which there are. There are well, okay. One, there are puzzles that are like that. And mm -hmm. two, by definition, a puzzle has different shapes to put them together. And so it's yeah. it kind of like, well, then you don't have a puzzle. You have something different if you can't put them together. You just have like a series of blocks or something. It's, like, it's so confusing. Uh, <laughs> so meanwhile, Spock is off with Layla examining plants and asking direct questions like, how are you alive? And Spock's kind of not letting back on this. Um, he's like, how have you survived here? He's like, and she says, later. And he says, I have never understood the female capacity to avoid a direct answer to any question. All she said was later, my guy. Yeah. It, it, it is very quick to be like, okay, well, this woman is suspicious for everything she does now. And she basically is like, she is just like smiling. She's like happy. And she has had a moment uh, with 
Elias earlier where he's like, well, they'll have to join us. Like, are you sure you want him to join us? Um, and she's like, I mean, they have to. Like, there's no, there's no choice. So it doesn't seem like this is a thing that she thinks she is doing, but that's what she has said. But she clearly has it hot for Mr. Spock. He, like Elias had oh, asked yeah. her, you know, do you love him? And she's like, if, if, you know, it was a fact only important to myself. Like he said there, it is said he has no feelings to give, which makes it sound like he didn't say that to her because she's like, it is said. Um, so I just wonder how close they actually were. They apparently knew each other six years ago on Earth. And you know, I've, hot for him. I've always wondered what it would be like to be in a relationship with a Spock. I should just Ooh. ask my husband one day because you. Ah! <laughs> um, <laughs> but she is she is being kind of weird. Like she walks yeah. up to him. She touches his chest and is like, there's been a side of you that no one knows. But I know that it exists. And he's like, I would like to know how you are alive um and then she's like all right if i tell you how we survived will you try and understand how we feel about our life here about each other which is very vague yeah uh and he says emotions are alien to me i'm a scientist okay fine sure use any so there's, excuse there's no human scientists okay uh, and she's like, no, come. Meanwhile, Kirk has apparently gotten a message back from Starfleet with orders to evacuate everyone because they know that there are Berthold Rays. They know these people should not be alive. It's great that they are, but now let's get them the fuck out of there. Uh, <laughs> They're like, hey, you overstayed your welcome at too many places where colonists shouldn't have survived. And <laughs> it's always nasty shit behind it. You need to get out of here. We're not having another one of these situations. It's always some this is This is the third or fourth time this series you've done this. Like, come on. <laughs> you should know better by now. Um, But Elias is like, uh, fuck no. Like, we're not leaving. We're in perfect health. Why would we leave? And Kirk is like, you don't understand, dude. Like, I have orders. I'm going to do them whether or not you help me. And he's like, then I won't help you, I guess. He's like, we're in perfect health. No one has even died here. And Kirk is like, what about the animals? And Elias says, we're vegetarians. Not an answer to the fucking question. Not an answer to the question, but at the same point, like, I mean, I can understand a society pivoting because they're like, yeah, you know, I mean, here's they this don't is, have here's them. the thing. I get to be like the, you know, what's hard keeping livestock alive. Like yeah. we could just do plants. Like, do we yeah. have to go through this whole cycle of like tearing down? land again and like disrupting nature for these big big old cows you know we know we know that they we we now know you know which the 60s people didn't know just like how devastating livestock is on the environment and maybe they knew that by then too so they're just like no we don't we don't need this anymore 
it's it's, it's like an amazing question, but it's not a wrong answer. Like it's like, weird. It's it's just a really weird answer. Like there are answers that make sense because it it wasn't worth the resources to keep them alive. Okay, that makes sense. Not just we don't we're vegetarians, and so they evaporated. Like okay. <laughs> But Elias is like, ah, no, I'm not going to help you. And it's not important. Nothing's important than we leave. I'm just going to go about my business. And they are shocked. We head back to the field where Spock and Layla, who we see are framed above a plant, a spooky plant made by Wa Chang, who made a similar spooky plant in an Outer Limits episode. Uh called unknown specimen i really liked the plants they were very yeah. well designed uh, i mean the few moments where the the heads were turned and they'd be like Meow, and just start moving toward it i'm glad by the time jumanji came around the creepy plant tech had advanced because those yes. plants scared the <laughs> shit out of me growing up these ones were cute and adorable threats just adorable little threats you know um so she's like it doesn't matter how this thing works. It doesn't matter all the specifications, but it brings us perfect health and happiness. And Spock is like, what you're describing sounds like something called a happiness pill, which does not exist. Mm -hmm. And please tell me what the fuck is going on. And she says, I was the first person to find the spores. And as she says that, the plan explodes. It sneezes all over Leonard Nimoy, just a bunch of white goo. Well, white fluff. <laughs> fluff with a little bit of sparklies in it. <laughs> right onto him. And he immediately hits the ground. He is freaking out. He's like, no, oh my God, no. He's like holding his head. He's like, stop. And she's like, oh my God, like this should not be hurting you. It didn't hurt any of us. And he has an iconic line. He says, I am not like you. Layla, bitch, grow up. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it, it's <laughs> it is very funny how, like, I'm trying to think how to say this. Pan he mismixed everyone pansies. The writer just, like, I mean, I know DC Fontaine, like, took a stab at it, but it's just funny how the inherent sort of just, like, wah-ness of everyone just sort of, like, leaks out when they're underneath mm -hmm. the spore influence. It's just mm -hmm. funny. It is, it is wild. Um, but then the pain stops, and he, he, like, takes a breath, and he's like, oh, like, I understand. She's like, you understand. You belong to us and we belong to you. And we are all together in this paradise. And he smiles and he says, I love you. I can love you. And they kiss. Aww. Aww. Meanwhile, Kirk is trying to get his bearings with Sandoval, who is still entirely refusing to help. Um, he, like, walks out, and he's like, I'm not helping you. And McCoy says, would you like to use a butterfly net on him, Captain? Because this guy is just floating around, like, without a care in the world. Oh, yeah. 
He just like shows up and he's like, hey, you need some happiness? I can help you with that. I can help you with that. Kirk's like, no, I think we'll use up, you know, something. But he gets cut off. Very funny. Uh, And then he's like, all right, let's bring all of our people together and figure out what's going on. Hey, you know who we haven't heard from for a little while? Mr. Spock. He usually checks in. Um, So we cut to a beautiful field. Where Spock and Layla are laying down looking at the clouds. Yep. Uh, Spock's like, that one looks like a dragon. Uh, and she's like, I've never seen a dragon. He's like, I have seen a dragon. On Benegaria 7. But I never stopped to look at clouds before. Or rainbows. It, it's great. Um, He's like, I can tell like, you how a rainbow is made. I can tell you yeah. why it exists. But I've never stopped to actually look at one before. Yeah, I've never considered its beauty. Which sounds exactly like what something someone on LSD would say, to be fair. Yep. That's a that's yep. a very well-written depiction of some of the shit that happens when you're on LSD. Hey, here's yep. a normal thing that I've never stopped to think about before. Hmm, it is weird how complex things are when you stop down and think about it. Uh, and now we get to the first scene of Star Trek I ever saw. <laughs> Which is the conversation between Spock and Kirk. Okay. Because we are hearing Spock's communicator go off throughout this entire exchange. He is just not picking up his phone. Yes. But eventually, while they're making out, she picks up the phone. And Kirk's like, Spock, is that you? He's like, yes, Captain. What do you want? Kirk's like, where are you? And Spock says, I don't believe I want to tell you. What? Uh, so Kirk's like, Spock, I don't know what you think you're doing, but this is an order. Report back to the settlement in 10 minutes. And Spock says, I don't think so. And, and Kirk's it, like, you it's don't Kirk, think so what? It's Kirk and Yohura who are both there. And they look at each other like, did this bitch really say, like, what the fuck, Spock? Excuse yeah, it's, me? Uh, it's Kirk and McCoy. They are looking oh, McCoy, at each other sorry, like, yes. what is going on? And he's like, you don't think so? What? He goes, I don't think so, sir. What? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, when he said, I don't think so, what? My thought response was, I don't think so, sir. Like, in yeah, my head, basically. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and Spock just drops the communicator. Still open. Just making out. Um, And then we get, like, one of my favorite little exchanges. Um. With Kirk and Spock. Kirk's like, Spock, the frequency's open, but he doesn't answer. And McCoy is like, that didn't sound like Spock at all, Jim. And Kirk says, no, I thought you said you might like him if he mellowed out a little. Which he has definitely said. Like, we have heard this again and again. And McCoy goes, I didn't say that. And Kirk's like, you said that. Yeah. And he's like, not exactly. He uh, he might be in trouble. It's like, aw. You do like Spock. Yeah, of course. You do like Spock. Uh, and yeah, so that was the first scene I ever saw. And I was like, what's going on? And my parents are like, well, you see, he's not supposed to have any emotions. And I'm like, hooked. Um, yeah, I just thought that that's a really sweet moment of their friends wanting their friend back to the way he was. So... They use Spock's communicator as a homing beacon. And Kirk and uh, a lieutenant, not DeSalle, um, and Sulu 
like find it about 100 yards away from Spock, where Spock is, which is hanging from a tree, laughing with Layla, uh, which was apparently improvised by the director. It's like the one and only time he had them change a setup because he noticed the tree and he's like, why don't you get in that tree? Uh, so he's like fucking around with Layla, hanging from a tree. Yeah, and... they just walk up when Kirk approaches them. We see Spock hanging upside down with mm-hmm. his legs wrapped around it, and he's just like looking at Layla, like ha 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 ha. Straight up, they are shocked. They are flipping out. Um, they're like fuck. Uh, so. <laughs> Kirk is like, what the hell are you doing? Like, we need to leave this planet. We need to get these colonists together. Spock's like, oh, Jim, you silly boy. We're not leaving, but we we should get you straightened out. Kirk is taken aback. He's like, you're under arrest. Like, yeah, you're in this Sulu's is... uh, custody. Yeah, this is like like mutiny. You, you can't do this. Like, what is going on? And it's almost like he's trying to, like, shake something loose in Spock. And Spock's like, oh, oh, well, okay. Well, why don't you guys come with us? And it's like, that's not what being arrested is, but okay. Yeah, and they start walking away. And it's almost as if Spock is skipping as he leaves. Yes. He is just so, he's like, okay, blah, da 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 Like, doesn't, does not care. Nope. Bouncing along, uh, he leading them directly to that's right s'more spore flowers s'more spores (laughs) uh and sulu and our lieutenant get a face directly full of them kirk however does not and clearly doesn't get enough to overcome his overwhelming shock at what is going on most of the shock i think being that a plant just jizzed in his face exactly uh, Sulu, however, is doing this great high smile. He's just like, we can't move the colony. It would be wrong. <laughs> um, fantastic stuff. Kirk is like, oh my God, like Sulu, snap out of it. Of course he does not. Uh, and meanwhile, back at the settlement, McCoy is trying to organize everyone to be evacuated. When, but who walks over to Sal? The Sal who was off looking at some native plants. Oh no. We know what happened to the Sal. What that means. Bring some of those plants right over to McCoy. And he's like, McCoy, you're going to want to take a look at these. They're super interesting. (laughs) McCoy's just like, ooh, let me put my face in here. And (laughs) Kirk walks up to see McCoy beaming plants to the ship. He now speaks with an extreme southern drawl, which is apparently just his normal voice. He's like, boy, howdy there. It's great for you to be here, Kirk. It's like, hiya, Jimmy boy. Uh, All you got to do is relax. And Kirk's like, how many did you beam up? Is this when he has the mint julep in his hand? No, not yet. Okay, sorry. (laughs) He says, oh, must be nigh on to a hundred by now. Oh, my God nigh on to a hundred okay to be fair everyone has like the slightest of personality changes when they get affected by it but his is the most pronounced because most people don't have a different accent (laughs) right oh 
Um, so Kirk is like, beam me the fuck back up. Like, beam me the fuck back up immediately. So back on the ship, he goes to the bridge, of course, and he's like, Uhura, like, send a communication to Starbase, whatever. We need fucking help. And she's like, oh, I I destroyed the communications. We can only talk to the surface because, like, we'll need that for a little while. Uh, I'm going to go beam down to the planet now. Bye. Like, just walks out with a smile on her face. And, of course, there's a plant on the bridge. And Kirk's pissed off and he throws it away. Then he goes out to, like, look around the ship and there's a whole line of crew people, like, ready to transport down to the colony. And he stops Eddie Paskey, Lieutenant Leslie, uh, also his stand-in. Oh, interesting. (laughs) And he gives one of his only lines of the show and he's like, get back to your station, this is mutiny. And Lieutenant Leslie just says, yes, sir, I I think it is. I guess it is. He's like, yep. And and, and And the line is, like... 20 people long that we can mm-hmm. see and it's implied that the stretching back farther than even what that is it's so funny mm-hmm. it's it's amazing um so the captain has lost it by now he is having problems and he's trying to get mccoy to talk to him about the physio- physiological and psychological aspects of this drug McCoy's like i'm not interested in any physical psychological aspects jim boy we all are perfectly healthy down here. Do you like my southern accent? <laughs> I enjoy it so much. It you sound like you should be walking the streets of Frontierland and Disneyland yeah. at the moment. Says sure enough. Hey Jim and boy, you ever have a real cold Georgia style mint and julep? What? <laughs> um. <laughs> Kirk is just like, can you do anything for me, Bones? Anything to counteract what's going on? And McCoy gets at our thesis statement, who wants to counteract paradise? Jim, my boy. Mm-hmm. Good old Jim up here to fuck up everyone's. Uh, he, he's there to yuck yep. everyone's yum. Here to yuck everyone's yum with good old Protestant work ethics. <laughs> So Kirk's like, all right, I'm going to head back to the planet to discover the mystery of these spores. And thankfully, uh, Spock is just chilling at the kitchen table and and super willing to tell Kirk everything he needs to know or wants to know. Yeah. Not everything he needs to know, but what he wants to know. That the spores, they apparently drifted through space, landed here. They eat Bertold rays, the rays that are supposed to melt people. Uh and when they find a human body to inhabit, uh, the spores leave the plants, go into the human, and give you complete health and peace of mind. And Kirk's like, that's paradise? And Elias is like, we have no needs or wants. Captain, Spock's like, it's a true Eden. But this is Kirk's philosophical rebuttal. No wants, no needs. We weren't meant for that. None of us. Man stagnates if he has no ambition. No desire to be more than he is. Okay. We have to, we have to imagine, and this is something that another uh, uh, person online imagined. We have to imagine that if they are subsistence farming, 
were actually only about 45 people because the colonists broke up into three groups. Mm-hmm. When they got to the planet, because they didn't want like disease or anything to happen. How long will that be able to support 430 other, like just new people out of nowhere? That's a good question. They would have to start. Did they happen to arrive during their springtime so they can start just getting everything plowed right away? (laughs) Yeah. And like, we can also assume that like they are from the 23rd century. There is possibly technology that they aren't considering, you know, technology or that aren't like everyday use technologies that they still have that could make it possible for them to support everyone in this true Eden. Mm hmm. But what if they all just starve after a couple days? Like, uh, so we have to to assume that sort of. We don't have to. I choose to because it's funny. I I I choose to too now. <laughs> um, back on the bridge, Kirk is sad and he's alone. And he's effectively marooned there. Yeah, there's a bunch of shots of him just like listlessly looking around the bridge. He he calls in and, you know, he's like, Scotty Engineering, nothing back. And he's like, security, you know, medical, going through all of the different, like torturing himself knowing he's not going to get an answer. But he just still is like for his own benefit like well i might as well try just to see but then like within five seconds just jumps to the next one so he doesn't he doesn't wait that long for anyone to answer no no um he gives a really sad captain's log where he's like i'm all alone uhura sabotaged the communications and he was of course made fun of for the rest of time for saying sabotage like sabotage i don't know why he does it but it's a meme Captain Kirk saying sabotage. Uh, but he comes to, I don't know what I can offer against paradise. And that's when the camera backs up and we see that flower move its little head mm-hmm. <laughs> up into frame and jizz all over our dear captain who seems to be confused for a second and then Smiles. Smiles. He calls Spock. He's like, I understand now. I'm ready. I'm I'm just gonna pick up some stuff from my quarters and I'll be right there. And Spock's like, excellent. I'm so pleased. And he goes to his quarters and packs like a bunch of sh- crew shirts. Yeah, it's just not a lot of things. Like, and only his fanciest shirts, like which is funny because most of the people like change into the jumpsuits uh or at least spock does um (laughs) so he apparently the suitcase in which he puts into his belongings this is mm, straight from imtv that suitcase is a very obviously a piece of 20th century samsonite luggage oh my god Thanks, IMDb. So, <laughs> um, they also lied. On IMDb, they're like, this is the first time they talk about Spock having superior strength to a human. And I'm like, no. he throws Kirk over a table in the naked time. Like, come on. I, um, I swear 
that's been referenced before. Maybe it's it just has. we've just seen it uh, examples of a lot. But yeah, I swear I like they just reference mm-hmm. it in the show. Yeah, no, they absolutely do. Uh, but he goes to his quarters, and then he uh, goes to his drawer and he pulls out a medal and he looks at this medal. Do you think it's his medal for conspicuous gallantry? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. There is nothing else he would look at than his medal. Oh my god, for significant gallantry. Conspicuous gallantry. Sorry, just I just can't. Little... I just. Star Trek lore, every once in a while, something dumb pops up. And you're just like, but here's the thing is, it sounds like dumb in the way that a human would make something dumb. Right, right. Like, I would not be surprised if the military, like, the U.S. military has an, a medal for conspicuous gallantry. Uh, <laughs> like, what's so still. conspicuous about it? Right? Um, so he looks at his his medal, and he starts to get, like, this, like, confused look at his on his face like there's a pallor now and he's walking through the ship and he goes to the transporter bay and he puts his suitcase on the little beam to like beam it down and he's just conflicting and he's conflicted he's conflicted and finally he goes no no i will not leave yeah he basically just has like I, I, a manic moment? I don't even know what it is. Like, yeah. it's not like, oh, he stubs his toe or like he drops the suitcase and he's like getting mad at it. He just is all of a sudden like, no, no! no! fighting. He's just fighting it. And then he, he, he's like, oh, okay, that worked. I'm good now. Huh. Interesting. And yeah, basically, he's just like looks up and he's like, "Oh, I don't have spores anymore. Uh, violent emotion is what I, fixes it." He's like, "Oh no, I have to use Spock's yeah. kryptonite emotions." Pretty much. So he he's like supplemental captain's log. Uh, I have a plan because of the violent emotions, but I could get fucking creamed by Spock if this works, and if it doesn't work. I could get fucking creamed by Spock. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, he says, um, the Vulcan, when aroused, has a strength many times that of a human. Many. Many, many. When aroused, though. Only when aroused. Um, so, uh, he asks Spock, he calls him up, and he's like, hey, buddy. Want to come up and, like, help me move some equipment that I think would be, like, really useful for, like, this colony that now has 400 more people that it needs to feed? And Spock's like, oh, you want me to send up a team? And Kirk's like, no, 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 it's just a two-person job. It's just a you and me thing, buddy. He's like, because once I go back down, there's be no one up here to transport us back up. Because they don't have a transporter on the planet, so... They don't have a button. They need they need to tell Scotty. They need to ask somebody. Spock's like, good idea. Good idea. So Spock pops up and we get to see Kirk's grand finale, his big old plan. A racist tirade. Yeah. <laughs> Spe- <laughs> specious. Again. Specious yes. tirade. 
Well, and a also specious tirade. Also, like in a way, it's it is both that, and then also calling him a computer, which is apparently yeah. like. It, that is the most offensive slur you can use against a Vulcan, or at least Spock specifically, because he hates it. Multiple yeah. times already, we have seen Spock get triggered by being yeah. accused of being similar to a computer. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Straight up. Uh, he calls him a, a half-breed, um, which Spock is like, well, that is correct. Like, However. Well, I suppose um, I am, in a way, if you're, you're going to try to be, <laughs> you know, if you're going to be very base about it. going to be very sick. He says his mother was an encyclopedia and his father a computer, which is where we learn an awesome bit of backstory that his mother is a teacher and his father an ambassador. And we will get to meet them in another episode written by B.C. Fontana. Okay. Season two. Um, We're also going to get to hear the like jazzy version of the Star Trek theme again uh, <laughs> for that episode. It's great. Um. So Kirk just, like, stands there with a pipe, and it takes for fucking ever. He's like, you're a computer. You're a half-breed. Like, you look like an elf. Like, you should be sitting on a mushroom. And I'm like, oh, my God, this was before Lord of the Rings elves. Mm -hmm, yeah. So this is, like, Because when I think of an elf, yeah. I'm like, oh, you're a hottie. Like, yeah. you're basically a god. Like, nah. He's like, you should sit on a mushroom in a forest, <laughs> and you have the gall to make love to that girl. You're working with Santa. <laughs> and then Spock just slowly starts going, he's so mad. He's like, that's enough. And Kirk keeps going. He says he belongs in the circus next to the dog-faced boy. <laughs> yeah. Who's a person? The person known as the dog-faced yeah. boy is just a person with a genetic difference that makes hair grow on his face. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot, there, there have been humans born with that throughout all of history. Um, so, yeah. Finally, finally, Spock is riled. He is throwing Kirk around the fucking transporter bay. He is smashing metal with his hands. Finally, he lifts up a giant-ass table, and he's about to, like, bring it down on Kirk, when suddenly he stops. And Kirk then gives a look of, like, yes, Spock, yes. Yes. Return to me. <laughs> and he, like, puts it down. And he's like, you did that to me deliberately. And Kirk is not apologetic enough. Kirk does not, oh, not, Naria, I'm so sorry. He just says, I had to get, like, wow, it took me a lot more to get through that thick hide of yours. Yeah, he's like, I thought I would want to say a I'm few sorry. hateful things, but, like, Jeezy Pete's. He's like, I had, to, I had to open the library up for for reading. <laughs> I had to get my roast jokes out. I'm going to have to rewrite my set for next year. Straight fucking up. Oh, at one point he calls him an elf with a hyperactive thyroid. <laughs> yeah! Which I don't know what that means. I guess because he's big, because yes, he's like yes, human size. Okay, make, okay. Yeah, like uh, like I think the pituitary gland is linked to that, and so like it's one of those things where he's basically calling him like yeah, an overgrown freak. Growth. Okay. Like like oh, you would be an elf, <laughs> but you're also not only are you a freak, but you should be a short freak. But you must also have like a <laughs> gland issue because you're a tall f short freak thing. It was yeah. it, the layering of it was like really funny. There was. It was 
weird good birds. It was like, so what comedy writer came in to punch these up? It was Gene Alcoon and fucking DC Fontana. That is why they are the power team. My God. And so, I mean, that's sort of what I'm thinking. A lot of these lines could have been either DC Fontana or Gene Alcoon because both of them have so much humor in their writing style. Um, But that's also why they're the fucking power team. You know, they're both obsessed with fucking sci-fi and funny as shit. I mean, when uh, I saw produced by GL Kuhn in the credits at the yeah. end, I gave myself a smile. I'm like, hey, yeah. good gene. Hey. It's our it's our gene. It's our second gene. Um, So <laughs> this is apparently the second of two episodes where Kirk calls Spock a half breed. Uh, yeah. That is he that is not him, an uncommon thing, unfortunately. Yeah, the, but it's interesting because the first time it was used was in "What Are Little Girls Made Of," and that was when he made sure to think that as they were creating an android of him, so that the android would call Spock a half breed, thus signaling to Spock that that is not Captain Kirk. Exactly, because Captain Kirk would never just shout slurs at him. I guess it's not slurs, racist abuse, specious abuse mm-hmm. at him. Unless he's trying to get him to come down from LSD. Yeah, because it would, you know, you just need a little dose of fascism to get someone worked up. Just a teeny little bit, just a drop, just a drop. <laughs> so, now that Kirk has his emotional support Vulcan back, things are looking up. He's like, all right, Spock, like, I need your help. I have an idea. We got, it's violent emotions that does it. Uh, we got to make a subsonic device just to take everyone the fuck <laughs> yeah. off. Can you build me a quick, like, a portable deus ex, mach- deus ex machina for me? Yeah. <laughs> like, I will just get everyone angry and we can we'll just, get this over with quick. <laughs> just piss everyone off. Because Spock himself is like, well, we can't start a fight with 500 colonists. Like, that's just not going to work. And so he's like, mm, subsonic device. Like, we got to make them this fight with Spock each other. Like, Spock's like, uh, Captain, like, hitting a fellow officer is a court martialable offense. But screaming racist abuse at your subordinate <laughs> is... <laughs> Is it like, like Kirk's fine, but he's like, oh no, like I really should go to the brig. <laughs> Kirk's response is, well, it won't do uh, too much good if we're both in the brig. Or we can't build a subsonic exactly. device if we're both in the brig. Exactly. Uh, we get a really great little comedy sting. Uh, and Spock does his whole like, he's in good spirits. Like he's not, he doesn't seem that bummed in this moment he's coming up he's glowing he's in a post psychedelic glow he's just like coming down he's like i'm still in my uh good mood phase here so yeah let's let's get working on this uh so they're they're like hella chill um yeah dc fontana still got it haha comedy that's what i wrote in my notes (laughs) comedy comedy (laughs) still got it the first time um but while they're making the device Layla, back on the planet, borrows McCoy's communicator to call up to Spock. She's like, Spocky, I'm lonely. Where You've been gone so long. Where are you? And he's like, 
mm, I'm gonna have to deal with this. She's like, I've never seen a starship before. Like, can I look around? And he's like, yes, beam up. Like, I will beam you up. Uh, and Kirk's like, are you sure you want to talk to her? And he's like, I must. Mm-hmm. He, he, it's like quite badass of him, even though she put him in this position. Yeah. I need either talk uh, to her or slap her. One of the two, but I will get <laughs> I'll, I'll get this done eventually. Basically. Uh, and he beams her up. She runs to hug him, and he doesn't make any move. Yeah. And she has tried to initiate physical contact. She went to, like, take his hand uh, to lead him to the flowers, and he very pointedly put his arms behind his back. Yeah. Like, he is being explicit and implicit. No. And she can't deal with it. He is um, the definition of given nothing. He yeah. was delivering not a thing. Not it was thing. rough stuff. Yeah. And she immediately knows something's wrong. She's like, oh my god, you're not one of us anymore. You've lost your connection to the spore. And she's so sad. That she is crying and she goes, oh my god, and I've lost them too. Yeah, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> it was this overwhelming sadness was her emotion. Like, goddamn. She's like, we can go back. Like, we can go back. We can get the spores again. Like, there's no other world in which we can be in love but here. And he says- I can only like, love you if I'm on LSD. Basically. <laughs> But he has this such a beautiful fucking line. And I don't know if this is Kuhn, if this is Soul, or if this is DC Fontana. But he says, I have a responsibility to this ship, to that man on the bridge. I am what I am, Layla. And if there are self-made purgatories, then we all have to live in them. Mine can be no worse than someone else's. Quite the breakup line. Right? <laughs> right? No, don't uh, worry. I'm going to be in hell. Like, or I'm not, I'm going to be in that bland place in between heaven and hell when I leave to you. So just so you know, you're not just going to be the only one that's sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at the end, she asks Mr. Spock, she says, do you mind if I say I still love you? Bitch, let it go. And he doesn't and he say anything. Told- she says, you never told me if you had another name. And he says, you couldn't pronounce it. And that is another fact that is echoed through the ages of Star Trek. Yep. That Spock does have another name that is unpronounceable by humans. <laughs> Which I love. So Kirk and Spock have to uh, set off their subsonic devices now. And we see... As the colonists and the shipmates get into a bunch of fights, we see uh, Sulu accidentally bumps into DeSalle, and DeSalle is like, You're a clumsy bitch! Like, socks him. <laughs> uh, and then there's two other officers, and this one guy who, who we like to call 50s guy because he's always in a red shirt and he looks like he has a face that's been punched a bunch. Mm-hmm. He looks, this is Stuntman. Bobby Bass with his one line of the entire series. And he's on it a lot. He goes, break it up, break it up. Nice, nice. Bobby Bass. (laughs) 
we see uh they're all they're all fighting and then we see sandoval walk up to mccoy as he's sitting under a tree drinking a nice georgia mint julep with a piece of grass between his teeth and he's all like so like doctor we have perfect health here so i'll figure out another job for you i've been thinking about it and McCoy's like, excuse me! <laughs> you dare think I can do anything but be a doctor, you bitch. He's like, you'll see how he takes the piece of teeth out from between, grass out from between his teeth, and he goes, you want to see how fast I can put you in a hospital? And he says, just a minute, you better make me a mechanic, then I can treat little tin gods like you. I, again, who is They're writing so these these burns? They are right? going for it. That's a, like, wow. So McCoy socks him in the fucking face. And then Sandoval goes down. He's, like, pretty pissed. And then they both sort of realize in that moment, like, the spores <laughs> leave them. Oopsie poodle. And McCoy's like, I, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what just came over me. Uh, you know, and and Elias is looking around like, oh my god, like we've done nothing here. Yeah, we've spent three years and we've accomplished nothing. Like I came to make this planet a garden, and McCoy's like, obviously you can't stay here. Like the Berthold rays will kill you without the spores. And Elias is like, you know what? Like I would like to go. Like, I want to get some work done. Yeah. I'm going to help you evacuate everyone. And back up on the ship, apparently all of our crew members have been calling in quite contritely, as Mr. Spock says. Uh, they're all like, oh, we, we we don't know why we mutinied, but we did. Can we come back now? <laughs> Can we have our jobs <laughs> back now? <laughs> like, oops. <laughs> and... Kirk says he's like it's sweet you know as soon as more crew gets on board we're gonna evacuate all you fucks <laughs> oops all mutiny <laughs> oops all mutiny we end on a happy bustling bridge everyone's at their station pardons for all pardons for all mccoy says well that's the second time man's been thrown out of paradise oh Ooh, and kirk says no no bones this time we walked out on our own. Maybe we weren't meant for paradise. Maybe we were meant to fight our way through, struggle, claw our way up, scratch for every inch of the way. Maybe we can't stroll to the music of the lute. We must march to the sound of drums. Fuck off! <laughs> I need to know who wrote that. Who has it out for the lute? <laughs> 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 what what person what how is kirk vindictive against an instrument i've never <laughs> he's like i hate fucking folk music fucking medieval troubadours fuck your jam i hate you i hate you so much you your goddamn loot and i have like a feeling and i didn't look this up because the next line uh, is Spock saying, oh, poetry, Captain, non-regulation. Is this someone else's poem? 
And also non-regulation. Like, wait a minute. Yeah, they have like an approved mean? canon of poetry that military personnel are allowed to read. When did what is this nonsense that got very casually introduced? Okay. I am looking, I just like Googled those lines. Uh and the only thing that is coming up is Star Trek. So I think that he's just saying, like, wow, that was like poetry, what you just said there. Yeah, I think I that that's what I kind of inferred from it. But it is mm-hmm. just it is just funny the way that he said <laughs> non-regulation. As if as if this was some sort of league in which yeah. you can you can be a poetry or not a poet. Um, and so Kirk's like, well, we haven't heard from you about it, Mr. Spock. And this is the saddest line. He says, I have little to say about it, Captain, except that for the first time in my life, I was happy. Do, 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 do. He's like, I'll never get that high again. Pretty much. Never. My left and right brain won't talk to each other because I cannot be on LSD, man. It's not good for me. <laughs> He's like, I don't, I don't like the things I discovered about myself. I don't like it. So that is this side of paradise. Uh, one of the like interpretations of this that I have seen in fan spaces, which I think is really interesting and cute, is that this is someone basically trying to make Spock straight and he just wants to be with his boyfriends. Uh, (laughs) This is a story about how Spock can't be tied down by no woman. None of them. Pretty much. He's got, he is helping Kirk with the marriage to his ship and Mm -hmm. their, their little open polyamorous triangle between him and McCoy. (laughs) And Spock. (laughs) Which, uh, all of them married to the ship. Ship to death. All of them. Mm-hmm. All of them. Um, <clears throat> of course, this was a very well-received episode. Um, people loved it. There were, of course, fans like, <laughs> we don't like that Mr. Spock was acting all human. And then everyone else was like, we fucking loved yeah. it. We want to see more of Mr. Spock like dealing with internal issues. Like It was so rich and interesting. Um we got to yeah. see like tenderness and care. We get to see like a range of um, of emotions that Leonard Nimoy doesn't get a display. Exactly. So let's talk about what happened after this episode was written let's. and and put out. Um, the original story it would not have worked. The original story involved. Um, the spores being in a cave so you had to go into the cave to get the spores okay. so you could just like not go in the cave um sulu was the one who had the love interest um which dc fontana was like we have two we have like the leads of the show and sulu is not one of them uh so let's give it to spock let's do something with that and it just like wasn't a really good script there was a lot of stuff going on and <clears throat> he was really displeased with the rewrite. He got it like right before it was basically put into production. He was left out and he was pretty bummed about it. 
And so he started sort of calling around to like the other sci-fi guys, like Simon Simon Winselberg, also known as Espar David, uh, which was the uh, pseudonym he used for what our little girl's made of. Um, because he was also pissed with the rewrites and a lot of them were like we don't know why the big tv man had to rewrite our cool scripts but then he wanted us to keep our names on them just for him just to look good not so that we could definitely be paid for our writing even though he rewrote every word and did not put in for credit which was actually something he did on purpose because he had his scripts rewritten and basically stolen out from under him before Yeah, by producers just putting their name on a thing that, yeah, they like wrote, but like you told the author that they were going to get the credit, which represents cash. Yes. So like, yeah, because of the way that writing guild mm-hmm. rules are, you need that written by credit and that's why mm-hmm. it's a big deal and stuff goes to arbitration like previous Star Trek scripts because of that rights issue so yeah i mean it 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 is just weird where they're like morally and artistically i just don't think it's a good it's like well good for you that you can afford to not get rights or royalties from your work because you just want to be a little bitch about the rewrites that they Mm -hmm. did to make your story more in line with the consistent canon they've created for this show pretty much um and of course, like, this had been a consistent problem in yeah. fucking Star Trek. Because, because kept, Gene Roddenberry kept, wanted to use these feathers in the writer's cap. Yeah, he wanted to use sci-fi they, writers of fiction, yeah. of, of of novels and literature, not yeah. screenwriters. And so they don't like know the fucking, fucking process. Exactly, exactly. Unlike fucking DC Fontana, who had an intimate understanding of production, of of the technical abilities at the time of what things cost so at this point jerry soul was like "Mm, fuck you i'm gonna go as nathan butler and this apparently pissed off a certain mr harlan ellison i i have no i am not a nerd but i must dweeb Uh, i'm I'm like trying to come up with things this guy was fucking crazy but he was still really on board with star trek at that time Mm -hmm. Ooh, we haven't even gotten to his episode yet i have no mind but i must create yeah kinda he's a fucking fucking wild asshole he at this point was working on set they had to give him an office because he wasn't getting his fucking work done and he would do things like go in there and play his Stones albums so loud that, like, the producers couldn't hear each other on the phone. They would, like, go down to his office, and he had crawled out the window to go fuck around on set with the actors. Oh, my God. <laughs> he just like, wanted to meet cele- the celebs. He wanted to talk to the actors. He just was, like chilling just being like you know i'll get it done at some point but like look at all these shiny things yeah. over here pretty much um so undiagnosed adhd in action precisely precisely uh, this guy was wild so this so harlan ellison was fucking pissed because he's like oh these people should stand by like their stuff just because their stuff was bad like meh <laughs> And he went public with his opinions. Um, he wrote a letter to the November 1966 issue of the Science 
Fiction Writers Association newsletter. I have been trying to find out what the fuck he wrote in this Science Fiction Writers Association newsletter for hours. I know exactly what issue it is. I know what the cover Ugh. art looks like. I cannot you can't find, find the it. contents. It's there what's spots. in that mystery letter. It looks like I can buy it, but there's no place to buy it. Like it says like I like okay, I want to know what the fuck he wrote that got soul so fucking riled up. Apparently, it was something along the lines of he had called the writers leeches who were trying to get money off of those TV schmucks. So that's kind of wild to to call a bunch of sci-fi writers leeches trying to steal money from the TV producer. Yeah. So Soul was really fucking pissed. And in 1967, he wrote back with a letter of his own addressed to the editor of the newsletter. And he wrote basically that Gene Roddenberry needed sci-fi writers to get a feeling about science fiction for his show, to flesh out the stories and characters, so to speak. Then when his show was off and running, Roddenberry didn't need them anymore. He got what he wanted. Now the hacks could get on with it. Oh my god. (laughs) The fuck, dude? That is so much shittier than like was warranted i just um i get being called a leech is like wild but you know who harland ellison is it yeah it just like harland ellison's wild i know that it's this is a, a saying that i feel like becomes more and more true the more and more i hear about creative people in the background is that mental illness is highly linked with creativity and so it doesn't surprise me that all these creative people are volatile little brats who just like are getting so caught up in who's who's beefing who and who's dissing who and who's rewriting and and who's better and all these other things where it's just like oh my god you get to create things you get to be paid for this do you realize how many other people would be like would want to get in your situation but yeah okay but i also understand wanting your creative stamp and not wanting something that misrepresents your work but then like fucking write something better to begin with i don't know write something better and don't be pissy about putting it on things that are really fucking good like this was a really fucking good episode what are little girls made of Mm, not my favorite episode no but this is a really good this is a good episode. one yeah this one was fantastic so gene ronberry also he wrote to galaxy magazine after this and was like yeah jerry soul's just pissy because we had to rewrite his script because it was bad like i did my best to teach this guy how to fucking write for tv which is a different set of yeah. skills yeah it just than is... being a sci-fi writer <sighs> every time they just expect these people to know what to do to write for TV and then are just like shocked. They're like, oh, why are they getting pissy? That would keep asking the rewrite stuff to get better for TV. It's like, because they don't know how to do this. And it's and it's a question because Gene Ronberry did have a habit of telling people that this was going to be a fun, easy job for them. And it, ne- and it never was. It never was. Uh, the lady they put in the cage who had to be in all green uh vina he was like oh this will be such an easy three days they had her in all green 
for like yeah. three days. Yeah. It was it was insane. It it went way over. So he did have a habit of sort of promising people the world and then not giving it to them. So I, I understand from their points of view, a lot of them maybe weren't used to even dealing with that industry. They're not used to being told like they don't know what to expect. Yeah. I can see from all sides. However, these people are being fucking crazy. Because <laughs> um, yes, like, he's like, we don't. We understand that you don't know the expectations, so it's going to be a rough discourse. But also, cool down, like chill, like, like chill the fuck out. Don't call them a fucking hack when you are the person they're hiring. Mm. Um. So he he said he even rewrote Soul's first script, but refused to put in for credit, so that Soul could retain the money, which did happen uh, on the Corbinite maneuver. He had to rewrite basically all of it because it, there had to be coherent characters throughout, and a person just coming in to work can't do that, you know. So a month later, Soul wrote a peace offering. He was like, all right, it's been like a month. I've cooled down. Um, hey, Gene, Space Seed was real good. And Gene was like, thank you for your comments about Space Seed starring Ricardo Maltaban. Comments are appreciated. <laughs> Executive producer Gene Roddenberry, Star Trek. Like, form letter. And so Soul wrote back, like, a really nice, like, mushy note, like, mm, I got caught up in the sauce. I got lost in the sauce. Sorry. Um, I thought that Harlan was speaking for you. I, and he said wild shit. Like, mostly blaming Harlan, which honestly, like, dude, you know who fucking Harlan Ellison is. Yeah. You've read any of his things? The man is off, is fucking crazy. Like, that doesn't excuse the things he says. But if you're hearing something that comes out of his mouth and thinking anyone else thought it or said yeah, like, it, you're crazy. oh, I bet this comes from Gene. Gene's sticking his attack dog Harland on us, right? Um, and Gene was like, "Dude, like, whatever. Like, let's not create legends between ourselves that you introduced me to science fiction, because that's like the kind of shit that Soul was saying, like." We introduced him to sci-fi. Like, we gave him all the sci-fi things. Yeah. And he's like, dude, I wrote one of the first sci-fi scripts in fucking Hollywood. Like, come on. But eventually, their relationship cooled uh, it, it cooled down, this, this roiling hot pit of anger. The spores fully, fully released themselves. <laughs> and they the once again began. decided to work again about halfway through season three. Which apparently also went poorly, and I don't know why. I'm so excited to find out, though. It's you know what, some it's 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 like they kept hanging back, being like, "I can change him, I can fix yeah. him, I know what I need to do this yeah. time." Yeah, I can fix him. I can fix Gene Roddenberry. No, you fucking can't. Gene Roddenberry couldn't fix Gene Roddenberry. This fuck was out here like hiring the first black actors in things like really like going hard for DC Fontana and then by the 90s his brain was so addled that he was like you know who suck women yep like yeah just you know, like you know who suck people of other races like you know you know who aren't cool gay people it's like what is what going is on dude happening? 
it happens. It happens to the best of us. Uh, and that he was not, but he was definitely not some hack who had to have sci-fi introduced to him. Um, he, yeah. So that's the big drama with this episode. It is all of that huge explosion and blow off and like having to go around to all of the other sci-fi writers and be like, um, so I heard you hate us. Like, could you maybe not hate us? It is very we funny got DC. that an episode where the, uh, where the, what's the word? Not denouement. Yeah, I guess, but like the, the, the climax in denouement revolve around emotions and violent emotions that mm-hmm. a bunch of emotional bitches were dealing with this in the background <laughs> at the same time and being the opposite of what the effect of the spores was. Yep. Straight up. Straight up. Uh, so is Harlan Ellison the spore in this case? Uh, he just bounces around. Yeah, uh, uh, he's the something. Yup. Yup. Uh, but that's this side of paradise. Uh, we've Can made it to the other side. Montana. Good, nice, top tier episode. Really yes. enjoyed it. Absolutely. Um, Missy, our next episode is another one of my very favorite episodes. Okay. The Devil in the Dark. What do you think The Devil in the Dark will include? Okay. So, it's either like a culture that thinks there's a creature that they can't see and it's like they think, you know, oh, it's like a literal, like a devil as in like a monster, not Mm -hmm. like a biblical devil. I, I don't think we're going to get a biblical, like, devil appearance. It'd be really funny if there were, like, horned, red, devil-like <laughs> alien species. And they're like, oh my gosh, we have to deal with these people. And it's dark. Um, but it also could be, like, a very charismatic figure that they encounter who is, like, absolutely sinister and malicious you know, behind their backs, and it's Ooh. like an intri- an intrigue situation where they're like, "Oh no, this person is like actually a devil in the dark, and they're they're not as nice as we thought they were." I love those guesses. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, and I'm so so excited to watch this episode with you. Me too. Next week. And do you know what next week begins? What? Our five episode countdown to the last episode <gasps> of series one. Holy shit. Yeah. There's Holy only shit. five episodes left. I'm going to have to get that the next volume of These Whoa. Are the Voyages. Oh my God, Missy. you are. I'm so excited. I'm going to finally have like a a hard, like a, a a full text copy of this book that I'm going to be reading us little facts and figures from. Oh ho ho! Oh ho ho! It's gonna be amazing. All these behind the scenes, like more detail, more details on all of the aggravated comments and letters that get sent to people, (laughs) phone calls that get made. I love it. I love it. Show me the memos. More (laughs) sci-fi writers that don't understand TV. More TV writers that (laughs) That don't understand sci-fi. Don't understand (laughs) sci-fi. 
actors who hate directors, directors who hate actors, all of them hating writers, writers who hate <laughs> directors and actors, everyone hating Gene, Gene loving and hating everyone. It's, oh, it, do you know, there is, I'm glad that a show as dramatic as Star Trek has an appropriate amount of non-apocalyptic drama in the background going on too. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> but next week, we're going to have to watch out and see if the devil is looking around. Did the devil make Kirk do it? And what is did, it? Did, did they? Ooh. Uh, it's going to be an ooky spooky episode. Uh, Missy, thank you so much for journeying with me. Thank you, Captain Emily. And live long and prosper. Live long and prosper.